Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Katia Echezareta is a poster child for the American dream. Her family moved to the U.S. when she was seven years old, and from a young age, Katia was focused on her studies and career. She now holds her bachelor's in electrical engineering from UCLA and is currently pursuing her master's degree in electrical engineering at Johns Hopkins University. After interning at NASA, she became a full-time engineer and has worked on five NASA missions, including Perseverance and Europa Clopper. In addition to her work as an electrical engineer, Kat is also an influencer, blogger, and science and engineering communicator. And her goal is to share her experiences with others so that they will feel empowered and prepared to pursue a career in STEM as well. And part of the reason we're so lucky to have Kat with us here today is that she is part of our partnership with Reinvented Magazine and the Princesses with Power Tools Calendar. Welcome to the Hazard Girls Podcast, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everyone. I can't believe you're in a calendar. Does this, what is it like? What is it like to be like on a calendar for young women to see and get inspired every day when they, when they look you know, at their calendar and they're seeing what day it is and instead of just seeing that and seeing like some kind of, I don't know, boring calendar, they're seeing the most inspirational thing, a woman in STEM dressed up as a princess or as something very powerful and similar to a princess. How does that feel? I think it's really cool, but I think one of the biggest reasons why I love it so much is that that is the exact reason why I decided to start putting myself out there. I'm actually a really shy, introverted, quiet person, but I realized that the things that I was doing, there were people out there that had the same dreams who looked like me, but they felt like they didn't belong because they were looking out there and not seeing themselves represented. So that's why I figured that I needed to go out there and show them that there are people like us doing these things and that they do belong. And especially with the whole princess look and the outfits, I think that that's really powerful as well. Because growing up, I actually did not really identify with the princesses too much because it really frustrated me that they were always waiting for somebody else to save them. And I remember just thinking, why? Why can't they just get up? Why can't they do this for themselves? Why can't they pick up some tools? Why can't they break out of this castle? Like, why can't they do it? And that's something that I really want to show young girls today through this partnership and this calendar, that they can be that princess who also picks up those tools and does things for themselves. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. And you're still, you're pretty young. So when you're talking about your childhood, this isn't even that long ago. And I I think, you know, I think it's important to, you know, remember that sometimes that, Things have not changed until really recently for a lot of these princess movies like Disney. I mean, I think Disney is doing a much better job these days, even than when my children were little and and my children are eight and 11. So I think even the past few years, a lot of these female role models in children's movies have been gaining power in their depictions. And I think it really, when, when you put on the dress and you show 
an image of a classic princess, really you're saying that it doesn't matter you know, how this princess was depicted, I'm showing that you can still be powerful and you can still do what you want and pursue your dreams. Absolutely. You can be powerful and you can be feminine. Well, I'm so fascinated by your story, Kat. You came to the U.S. from Mexico with your family when you were just seven years old and you had to learn English and start a whole new life. What do you remember from that time period? Yeah, it was actually, well, there's a funny story associated with it that I like to tell because it's such a children's perspective of a really adult situation, which is that a few days before my parents told me and my siblings that we were moving to the U.S., I was in school, I was in the third grade, and I fell. And I fell in front of everybody. We had school uniforms. And I remember that day, I wasn't wearing shorts underneath. My skirt went all up. So my underwear was showing. I lost a shoe, like, somewhere across the schoolyard. I was so humiliated and embarrassed. And I remember that my classmates, the boys, just kept making so much fun of me. And I didn't want to go to school. And I was just so upset. And, like, about... Two, three days later, my dad essentially tells us that we're we're moving to the U.S. And I just remember asking, does that mean I'm changing schools? And, you know, he thought I would be upset. He's like, yes, but you're going to make new friends. It's going to be great. You're going to learn so many things. And I was like, let's go. I'm ready. Like, when do you guys get me out of school? Let's go. Let's leave. <laughs> no, your school must have thought, wow, that cat has a influence in her family. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just so funny to me that that's just, you know, I was so excited to leave for that reason. But once I finally got to the U.S., essentially what happened is that my dad is an engineer. Um, he's an electronics engineer, which is very similar to what I do today. And he was working for a company in a border city called Tijuana, which is right underneath San Diego. And this company had offices both in Mexico and in the U.S. They really loved the work that he did. And he did such a great job that they offered him a position in the U.S. offices, which were in San Diego. Before accepting, he essentially negotiated for a path to citizenship for his entire family. And that's pretty much how, how that happened. It took a very long time. And I remember that I think it was, it was about two years for me to learn English. I came in not knowing anything, which was very difficult for me. But at the same time, I was so motivated to learn because I've always been fascinated by learning. Just the act of learning is something that I've always loved and being at school and not being able to understand anything was really frustrating for me. And when I heard my teacher tell my mom that I potentially might need to retake the third grade, since I came in halfway into third grade, and I wasn't really understanding anything because I didn't speak the language, and she herself, my teacher, did not speak Spanish. So I kind of was just pretty much always sitting there. And hearing that was kind of like that fire that got lit inside of me. I did not want to have to do that. I. It's funny because, again, we kind of look at things with a child's lens. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be behind. I'm going to be a different age than everyone around me. And 
I don't even know if I'm going to get to calculus when I'm in high school. I can't, I, that's not going to happen. I need to take, I need to take calculus. Everyone talks about this calculus. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I want to know what that is. I'm not, they're not going to let me do it. Oh, so, cause for some reason, <laughs> okay. <laughs> for some reason I thought that they would still like kick me out at the same age as everyone else. And that I would lose that last year which was the senior year when you take calculus. Like, I don't even know where I got that stuff from. (laughs) And yeah, it was difficult, but I'm really grateful for my teacher that I had because she would actually have the entire classroom doing other tasks for an hour every single day. So she could sit down with me and teach me English. Wow. And it was just such a beautiful experience. Now that I look back at that and kind of paired with the bullying that I was facing, the jokes, people making fun of me for my accent. All of that really just came together to allow me to really just run with it. And I think within two years, I was fluent. And then within the third year, I was speaking like a native. Oh my gosh, that is so impressive. So were your parents speaking English also at that time? My dad was, but my mom wasn't. And this teacher, what she did is not only was she helping me, but she was actually giving me adult books for learning English as a Spanish speaker for me to then go home and help my mom. Oh, wow. And then does your mom also catch on? At first, no, but she does speak it now. (laughs) That's great. Wow. Speaking of your mom, you've credited your mom with instilling a strong work ethic in you and encouraging you to follow your passions which were space, math, astronomy, physics, which explains the calculus. How did you even get interested in these areas at such a young age? Your dad was an engineer. Did your parents talk about the sciences a lot? I feel like when I say that my dad is an engineer and he does the same that I did, a lot of people think, well, that's so cool. Then you had a mentor, you had a role model, you had somebody showing you these things. And it's interesting because I did and I didn't. It was always... My dad wanted to actually show these things to my brother because unfortunately I do come from a culture where machismo is very strong and women are supposed to stay at home, get married, cook, have kids, which is absolutely fine if a woman chooses to do that. But that's the thing here, right? That choice. And from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to have a very detailed career. Mm-hmm. And so when I would bring up some of these things, it was interesting because I could tell that my dad was sort of feeling that clash of two cultures of wanting to be supportive in me getting an education, but at the same time, also constantly telling me that women don't really belong in these fields and that he sees the way that women are treated in his workplace and that it's better for them to just not get involved, to not get in on it, that it's not worth it. So that's pretty much what I grew up with on that side. And the reason why I credit my mom is because my mom was always the exact opposite. I remember when I was about seven years old, shortly before we moved to the US, my mom and I were, and I remember this so vividly because it's it's something that I bring with me every day as I continue to pursue really big dreams. We were sitting next to a bus stop, and I remember I was just kind of standing next to her and looking around, looking up, and out of nowhere, I asked her, what do you think is the hardest job somebody could have? 
And she said, why? And I said, well, because if I'm going to do something in my life, I want it to be really hard because I get really bored when something's not hard. And she kind of just looked down at me and she said, hmm, for you, based on what you like, probably like an astronaut. And I remember looking up at her and saying, okay, then that's what I'll do. Wow. And that's what she was able to instill in me, that feeling of, if I want to do it, I can do it. That's amazing. You've talked about how your Mexican heritage is an important part of your identity. You So you grew up in Mexico until you were seven. And then you came to the U.S. and you were still, you know, of course, with your family. But how would you say that your Mexican heritage plays out in your work today? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's extremely important because it's something that I carry with me every day. The traditions, the love of family, the way that Mexican culture protects itself, protects each other, is always there for each other, I think is something that I bring with me everywhere I go because I I love forming those families, right? Say you're in the workplace and I love forming those little families, those little groups where you feel like you can trust each other. You feel like you have each other's back. And that's something that I really bring with me from what I learned about my culture, my traditions. And I like to do that everywhere I go. I think that it's also really important for me to share a lot of the different traditions that we have. And so if I have friends or, for example, with social media who maybe don't necessarily know about Mexican culture, Mexican traditions, Mexican customs, I really love to share that. I remember when it was Dia de los Muertos, I was sharing my altar and I was sharing what it meant and how it can help us pretty much cope with death in a really healthy way. It's remembering and honoring as opposed to feeling, you know, really sad or depressed about them passing on. Rather, it's, well, let's remember those happy times, right? It's being happy that we had them as opposed to being sad that they're gone. Yeah, I think that's so healthy and beautiful. It's nice that you can share that. I assume when you're talking about these groups that you formed, I'm sure college was one of the places where you had an opportunity to do that as well. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in college when you started to study electrical engineering? I mean, was I'm thinking you were probably one of few women, girls at the time, women. What was that like? Were there others like you there? Yeah, college was honestly really difficult for me because, like you said, there are very few women. I believe the year that I was accepted, there were about 15% women in my major, which actually, and it's sad to say that so many people have come to me and told me, you know, like, wow, 15%, that's great. My school had five, my school had 10, my school had eight. But when you're living through it, it's not like every single class you take is going to have 15% women. Right. It's all kind of random. And so sometimes you take a class of 200 people and there were five women. Sometimes you take a class of 20 people and you're the only one. Other times you take a class and there's 10 and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many of us here today. So it's it's definitely always kind of a gamble each class that you take. And it can definitely feel really lonely and alienating. Mm-hmm. especially because it's one thing to feel lonely and not see too many women around, but it's another for many of the men 
that are in your classes to also not really want you around. So that just makes it so much worse. And I had a really hard time when I was in college because I had a lot of experiences that I had to learn not to take to heart where, you know, I would walk into a lab and the way that usually it works is you just kind of sit down wherever and the person next to you is your lab partner for the rest of the quarter or semester. And there were a few times where there were only a few seats left. I kind of, you know, it wasn't really too early to get one of the first few seats. And so you had to find a seat where somebody was already sitting there. And there were definitely a few times where I would come and say, hey, is anybody sitting here? They would say, oh, yeah, I'm waiting for my friend. Mm. After kind of like very obviously giving you the look. So, you know, you just say, okay, that's fine. I'll go look for another place to sit. And you'd go sit somewhere else. And then somebody else walks in, a boy, and they ask the same question. And then the guy just goes, oh, yeah, you know, whatever, sit down. I don't care. So making it really clear that they were not waiting for anybody. They just didn't want me there. When you have experiences like that, at the same time that you're trying to find a study group, you're trying to find a community, it can make it really hard to want to even reach out to anybody. So that's pretty much where I ended up. I don't really think I made an actual group of friends until my very last year at UCLA. I think that's one of the reasons why my first few years at UCLA were so difficult for me, because on top of trying to learn a new system, UCLA is on the quarter system, which is 10 weeks. And then the week after is your final. Um, basically, you get one midterm, one final, and those are your that's your grade. So it's really scary. And then on top of that, trying to do it alone when everybody else already has their little groups formed because I came in as a transfer student. So you come in and everyone else already kind of has had a couple years to get to know each other, to form their groups, to become friends. And they are also a little bit younger because um, I did take an extra year at community college. So on top of that, taking some of those early beginning engineering classes with like freshmen, sophomores, it's a really weird experience. So I would say that college has been one of my most formative experiences, but also one of my darkest experiences for everything that I had to deal with just coming together all at once. Wow, it really shows how to get through this type of process and become a woman in, in your field. It really takes more strength than your average person, than your average male, to be honest, your average white male, really. To see you come through that is really inspiring. And I'm just wondering, Kat, because I've spoken to tons of women in STEM and, you know, for this podcast, and many of them have gone through similar experiences that you have, but a lot of them are ended up in a field where they actually ended up changing their field because the first one that they tried was the experience like you just described. And they actually decided they didn't want to deal with that. They didn't want to be that, that ostracized person. They didn't want to deal with the microaggressions. And so they moved into a different area within the sciences and they explained that, you know, they just didn't like it and they got out of it. What do you think is it about you that gives you that strength and that motivation to stick with it? Yeah. And that's a really great question because recently I was looking at some statistics. I can't remember the exact number, but women are leaving engineering fields at really scary numbers. Mm -hmm. And when you ask these women why that is, why they're leaving, 
it is very rare that they'll tell you that it's because they ended up not liking the job or not liking the field, not liking the material. There's always one answer. And it's, I was not welcomed. They didn't want me there. And they made that very clear. They made my life miserable. They made my life impossible. It was extremely toxic. And I kind of look at that in two ways. One, which is, why do we have to be the ones to break these glass ceilings just because we decided we liked something? That's horrible that we have to do that. That in order for us to be able to do a job that we like to do and that we just decided this is a field that I want to learn more about, that we also have to become extremely strong with our emotions, extremely thick-skinned, not easily offended, not easily hurt. And a lot of us have different personality types, right? Some of us are a little bit more vocal. Some of us are a little bit more quiet and shy. So why is it that a shy person is not going to be able to cut it just because it's a little bit harder for them to stand up for themselves against all of this abuse and aggression? And when you think about that, you also start to think about how much talent we have lost to that. Because you being quiet or you being vocal or you being willing to or able to stand up for yourself has really nothing to do with the quality of work that you bring. So it's something that's really upsetting to me. And I think what has been able to keep me going, honestly, is a mix of the way that I grew up and having that confidence instilled in me from a very young age and knowing it's not me, it's them. They're being insecure. They're being ridiculous. They're just, they don't want me here because of their own prejudice. And that has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. Again, I thank my mom for that because it's something that isn't really created from one day to the next. It's something that has to be, you have to be raised with that mentality and go through a lot of problems, obstacles, bullying in order to finally kind of let that sink in of, I don't really care what you say because I know it's just you, it's not me. But again, why does that mean that somebody who didn't necessarily have that privilege of growing up that way is not going to be able to make it through or cut it. So it's something that I'm working really hard against. And that's one of the reasons why I started my platform, because if so many women didn't really have that experience like I did of having somebody teach them that confidence and teaching them to believe in themselves and their worth, then I want to be that person. So I tell a lot of my followers, I want to be that big sister to you who is going to tell you those words you never heard and is maybe going to help bring you a little bit of that confidence so that you can stay in the field that you want to be in. Let's talk a little bit more about your platform. This is your mission, I understand, to really spread the word and help other people have confidence and explain what you've gone through. Can you talk about what, and I know you've done this a little bit already, but like what an engineering communicator is and how you're hoping to really influence people and give people confidence through these platforms. First of all, it's what is it, an Instagram platform or is it other social media as well? So I started out with my Instagram account and then I slowly moved on to YouTube, which is still pretty new, and my TikTok account. So I have one in English and then I recently started one in Spanish 
because I wanted to also try to connect with my community in Latin America in their own language. So yeah, I managed all of those. <laughs> wow. Tell me the handles so everyone can hear it. Yeah. So the handles for Instagram and TikTok are Cat Voltage. If you're interested in my Spanish TikTok account, that would be ing.cat. And then YouTube is just my name, Cat Echazareta. Okay, great. So I think we've got that and we're going to put it in the show notes as well. And we have a few more minutes here and I have so many questions I want to ask you. So I really need to pick and choose here, but you've worked on five NASA missions. And I think I would love to just hear a little bit about that. What did you do for those missions? What was your role? Yeah. So I started working at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab while I was still at UCLA. And I think one of the coolest things to me was that JPL essentially allows their students to do real work. Because I think a lot of us think, well, you're an intern, you're probably just going to do some little research project no one's really going to care about. It's just sort of just to get you busy. But that is not the case at JPL. At JPL, when you're an intern, you're actually working on something that could potentially be used on a spacecraft, test a spacecraft, or for future spacecraft missions. So as an intern, I got to work on the Perseverance rover. They needed a circuit pretty last minute and didn't really have the people to work on it because they were busy trying to set up testing for the robotic arm. So they reached out to my group and my mentor and I worked on that circuit. We, I remember we worked on it and we, we like had to stay a couple days into the night because they had a pretty tight deadline of when they needed to start testing the robotic arm and it wasn't working at first and we were freaking out and we were doing this and doing that and trying this and trying that until finally we got it working. And I remember we were so tired that we didn't even feel like celebrating. We were just like, okay, it's done. Let's go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but we finished it. And one of the coolest experiences of my life really is having our circuit that we designed that I worked on as a student bringing it in my hands, bringing it to the lab where the robotic arm is mounted on a stand and it's right, it's feet in front of you and you hand them the board, they pop it into their machine. Basically, that was the little last puzzle piece they needed to start moving the arm and testing it. So that was one of the coolest things ever. And I'm so grateful for that experience because that also helped me build a lot of confidence that I know I'm just a student, but I just helped a major Mars mission. That's incredible. And I kind of took that with me because with the future missions that I worked on, I worked on a few more. My favorite actually being Europa Clipper, which is a mission that's going to go to, it's going to go orbit Jupiter, but it's going to investigate its moon Europa. And with this mission, when I started out, I was new to the team. Nobody really knew me. They didn't know my work, but I was a fresh engineer, freshly graduated. So, you know, I don't really expect them to think too much of me just yet. But within a year, I was just so excited and I was taking on new projects all the time, constantly telling my mentor, do you have anything a little more challenging? If something would come up that somebody else was working on and maybe was too busy for, I'd be like, I'll do it. I'll take it. Give it to me. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll, I'll take care of this. And within a year, I actually became the test lead for our entire group. So which is something that I really like to share that, yeah, when you start out, they may not really trust you too much and maybe give you some boring projects. But instead of complaining about it and maybe not doing the best job because you think the work is below you, 
rather the approach that I took was do the absolute best job that I could possibly do on this so that I can continue to build. And eventually when something big comes along, they'll trust me with it, which is exactly what happened. Oh my gosh. That's so inspiring. All right. So why don't you tell us, Kat, what's on the horizon for you? What are your goals? What are your career goals and what do you have going on next? Yeah. So while I was actually still working at JPL before I started taking my master's degree, I started doing some media work, which I found to be really fun and kind of came about because of my platform where I was being invited to do different talks and also do different segments for various shows, like TV shows for science, electricity. I got contacted by a company who essentially runs some of the videos for Netflix's YouTube channel. And I've been co-hosting a series called Netflix IRL, where essentially we try to debunk uh, series and movie scenes using science. So we recreate some of the scenes from the shows and the movies to see, oh, okay, could this happen in real life? I've been able to take some of the things that I learned in my degree, some of the things I'm currently learning, my love for science, my love for engineering, and also turn that into something creative. So that's something that I really want to continue doing because it's really fun for me. And I want to finish my degree and continue building some really cool stuff. That sounds amazing. Where can we see that? The Netflix IRL. So if you just search on YouTube, Netflix IRL, the different episodes should come up. We did Squid Game. We recreated the tug of war. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really fun. This is okay for kids, right? Yeah, yeah. There's actually a few kid-specific episodes, too. We had a Christmas episode for kids, and then we just had one come out about a series called Raising Dion, which is also for kids. That one's really fun. We basically were trying to recreate whether a person could throw fireballs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're definitely going to love this. <laughs> well, Katya Echezareta, NASA engineer, engineering communicator, and influencer, and role model as princess from the reinvented magazine Princesses with Power Tools Calendar. Thank you so much for being with us and for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. It's so inspirational. And I know we just have so many exciting things ahead. We can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.